I'm gonna, we're going to be talking uh, into the book of Luke. And Ian mentioned briefly, the book of Luke is a book in the Bible um, that tells us the story of Jesus' life. Uh, this is the story of Jesus' life, and we are at the very end. We're just about the last few days of Jesus' life. We're coming in, and we're going to be reading about his last meal. And I was thinking about it, what would my last meal be? If I knew that tonight was my last dinner, what will I do with it? What am I going to eat? Who am I going to spend it with? I, I looked up, like, last meals, um, like, people's famous last meals, like, what is it? And, like, there's a traditional last meal. Like, there is a standard last meal, which is kind of uh, sad um, and morbid. But I'll tell you, it's, it's steak cooked medium rare with eggs over easy, hash browns, and toast with jam and butter, and then some milk and juice to wash it down, right? That's not a bad last meal, but I was wondering, what would your last meal be? Think about it. What would it be? I'm even going to dare to ask the audience, what would your last meal be? What's like your main? What would you have as the main thing that you eat as your last meal? Haggis. (laughs) Right? Who who are you going to spend it with? Who are you going to spend it with? Don't, you don't have to shout that out, but who are you going to hang out with? The food. The food. <laughs> and maybe, would it be, I was, I'm thinking maybe, what, maybe I'd want some good old-fashioned home cooking, you know, just like Grandma used to make. Or maybe a recreation of Christmas dinner. I'm American, so it'd be like Thanksgiving, but even more on steroids. What, do you go all out? Maybe you just don't care about the calories. You're like, I mean, last night, right? Like, who cares about the weight gain? But if you could turn uh, to Luke 22, uh, chapter 22, it's going to be verse 7. It's on page 1057, 1057, and the Bible's on your chairs. And we're going to read about Jesus' last meal. What did he eat? Who did he eat it with? What did he do? What did they talk about? And I'll bring Rachel up, and she's going to read it for us. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? they asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, 
After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it, is, as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Okay, there we go. Thank you, Rachel. So I want to take a moment uh, to just set the scene a little bit. And we have a few phrases that stick out as quite strange, um, not something that we usually have in our everyday vocabulary. Um, The Day of Unleavened Bread or the Festival of Unleavened Bread, what is that? Well, it's a tradition that they had where they would only eat unleavened, they they would take the leaven out of their bread. No leaven, it's all, the bread's all flat. It's quite like a cracker almost. They would just keep the leaven out. And that is something that they did in a festival leading up to a bigger celebration. And then today it says it's the, pa- it's the day the Passover meal is to be consumed. And what is, so what's that all about? What's the Passover lamb? The sacrifice of the Passover lamb goes all the way back to when Israel, the Jewish people, were slaves in Egypt thousands of years before Christ. And it's this beautiful story of how God set them free from their slavery. And he did things using, he did that using a series of plagues he sent on the Egyptians. And he commanded the Jews to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of that lamb and spread it on the top of their doorpost. So it's just like on your doorpost. Kind of weird nowadays, but back then it was all the rage. You spread it outside atop your doorpost so that the worst of the plagues, when it rolled through the, t- through the land, it would pass over the doors that had the blood of the lamb on it. Pass over. You get it? That's why they call it Passover. So there's, it's, this, it's this destruction, it's this plague that would pass over them. It was this protection that they had. And ever since then, ever since they were slaves in Egypt, ever since that night, they've done it every year to remember that God had freed them. And now if you know the story, they didn't keep it quite perfectly. But they were supposed to keep it every year to remember that Christ and that the Lord had freed them from their slavery. And now just hold that in your mind because that's going to be important later. But I want to keep setting the scene. You see, we have Jesus sends Peter and John. These are like his right and left hand men. Like these are my guys. Peter and John, I'm going to send you ahead and I need you to prepare the Passover meal. And they're like, what are we going to do? And he says, well, when you go into the city, what city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a town. You're like, but hasn't he been in Jerusalem this whole time? Well, he's been going in and out of the city. In the daytime, he goes into the city. He teaches a bunch of people, and then he leaves. He goes out to the Mount of Olives, which is a mountain outside of the city. It's where he sleeps, kind of weird, not like your ideal sleeping conditions for the last week of your life. But that's what he did. Um, He would go out and often get some solitude after teaching all day long. But he sends his his two two men ahead, Peter and John, and he tells them what's going to happen. So you're going to go into Jerusalem. You're going to see a man with a jar. Very strange thing to see a man carrying a jar. You must have been a servant. You're going to see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow that guy. Talk to the guy, who, the master of the house. Tell him that we need a Passover room. And then we're going to make preparations there. Why do Peter and John are the only ones that know? Because Jesus is going to be betrayed tonight. But he can't be betrayed while he's eating the Passover. He's got to have it. And we'll talk about why he has to have it, but 
He keeps it a secret. And so the man who would betray him doesn't know where dinner's going to be. And we learned last week that there's a plan in place to catch Jesus when he's away from the crowds, and a Passover meal is an ideal time to do that. So there's why there's this secrecy surrounding it. But what do we know? Aside from Jesus orchestrating this Passover meal in secrecy, we know and we learn from this that Jesus is orchestrating the events around him. He's well aware of what's coming. He's well aware. He knows there's going to be a man with a jar. He knows that tonight he's going to be taken away to be crucified, to be killed. And he knows that one of his dearest friends is going to stab him in the back. And yet, he still wants him there. He still wants that guy at his last meal. He wants to eat it with him, with Judas, the betrayer. And that is... So strange to me, and I was thinking about my life, my last meal, and I was thinking back to before I moved here. I moved here from Phoenix, Arizona, a little over 18 months ago, and I was thinking back to my last night before I got on the plane, and everything about my life would change forever. Who did I eat my last meal with? It's my family. It's my wife. It's my, my brother, my, my parents, her, my wife's family. We all got together. We, we bunkered down the hatches. And I just wanted to be with my family. No one else. I just want to eat, I want to eat Uncle John's famous pizza. It was so sweet that night. I didn't, want, I didn't want any Judas at my table. Anyone I knew that had ever hurt me or I knew that was going to hurt me, that they're definitely not invited to that moment. But Jesus wanted him there because it was this very important meal. And he needed Judas there, otherwise it wouldn't have been the last meal. And you see, this is my dinner, my last night. That's a special thing for me and my family. It's not special to any of you. Jesus' last meal with his uh, followers, his friends, that's special for us today. That's significant for us today for all of us in this room, not just a random night years ago. Why? Why is it special for us? Because it's because this is Jesus about to fulfill his purpose. It's about to be realized. His whole purpose for coming is about to be realized. We read that Jesus is eager to have this meal. In your Bibles, it says that he eagerly desired to eat this Passover with them. But you could literally translate those Greek words. You could translate them to say, it is the desire of my desires to eat this Passover with you. It is the desire of my desires to eat my final meal. Who else can say that? Who else can say, you know what I really want? My last meal on earth. My last dinner. But Christ is saying he is so eager to have this. Why would anyone be eager to eat this? Why does he want to eat it so badly? He's eager because he's about to fulfill the reason he came. He's about to bring fulfillment to the meaning of what Passover really is. So Passover, this ancient tradition even for Christ, it's an ancient tradition because it's thousands of years before he even came. It's this, this remembrance. And they've been remembering being freed from Egypt. 
They've been remembering being freed as slaves. But when Christ came, he came to be a Passover lamb. He came to be the perfect Passover lamb. This perfect sacrifice so that they would never have to sacrifice a lamb again. And he came to bring freedom, but not freedom from a, a, a nation, not freedom from manual labor, but freedom from, from sin, freedom from death. He came to set us free from sin, and what is sin? And it's this weird ethereal thing that if you're a Christian, you hear sin all the time, but if you're not a Christian, sin is this like, what is that? It can look like uh, pride or anger. It can look like lies and deceits or selfishness and greed. But sin can be defined a little more nuanced definition would be that sin is putting your trust in anything that isn't God. Sin is putting trust in anything that isn't God. It's putting your trust in you, putting your trust in your job, trusting that the job will satisfy you, trusting that your family will bring you happiness, trusting that you will be happy on your own and that you're going to be fine. Trusting in your good works, your own righteousness, all of that is sin and it's not going to set you free from anything. Sin is the slave master. It is Christ alone in his sacrifice and in his perfect work that has redeemed us. You see, Christ came as a lamb and when you sacrifice a lamb, it's, it's this transaction that happens. It redeems you. You've purchased something. Now, I'm, I'm sure most of you are familiar with money-off vouchers, and I call them coupons, but the money-off vouchers, you know, you, you go and it says, like, redeem, you know, present this to redeem 40% off, you know, your sandwich, or, you know, redeem this for 50% off your clothes. Like, it's, you're bringing something to redeem a value, right? You, or when you take a currency, right? We have, you're, you're swapping something to redeem something for it. You're like, I'd like to spend 20 pounds to redeem a nice jumper, and we've been redeemed. There's been a transaction that's, that's free, to, to free us from sin. There was a currency. There was a price that had to be paid. And Christ is the only one who could have paid it. But he didn't, he didn't bring out a million pounds. He didn't get out a giant briefcase full of vouchers. He, he got out himself. And it was his body. It was his blood that was the currency which, with, which, well, that which purchased our freedom so that we would no longer be slaves to sin that we would no longer be slaves to our own selfishness and greed he says in the passage this is the new covenant in my blood and a covenant what a weird word and a covenant is an agreement between God and man. This new covenant implies that there was an old covenant, an older agreement with but God and man. And that old agreement was based all about how well man, humanity, performed. How well their works, how good we were, 
How can we keep up to God's standard? God said, here's the bar. Can man meet it? It turns out we couldn't. The standard is too high. If it was here, we'd be like, even lower. We fell short. Our righteousness, our own works, our self-righteousness, it didn't stack up. But God didn't look at that and go, ha ha, I knew you couldn't do it. He wasn't this, this mean God playing a game with us. He knew we couldn't do it. But he didn't leave us in the shortcomings. He didn't see us fall short and say, well, that was that. Just wrap it up and let's go home. He said, I have a new agreement to make, a new offer. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to do the work. He said, Jesus, will you go and will you meet the standard? Jesus met the standard. Will you be perfect? And in his perfection, he offers himself as a sacrifice to redeem us. This is a new agreement where it's not about keeping the standard. This new agreement is not about us keeping the standard, but about us believing in Christ, who is our standard bearer. He's the one who has set the standard and he has met it. And all we have to do in this agreement is believe that he did it. You have to believe that he met it. You have to believe that his blood and body, beaten and bruised and killed, paid the price for our redemption, for our freedom from sin. That's what this dinner is about. He's taken this meal. It's right here, this meal. He's taken this meal and he's made it significant for everyone in this room. The meal he made with his disciples. We get to take part. We get to take part in the meal. And the special thing about this meal, we didn't bring anything. Verse 19, this is my body given for you. Verse 20, this is my blood poured out for you. We didn't bring anything. We are like kids at Christmas dinner. Little wee ones. We didn't, we didn't meticulously plan and, and do the food shopping. We didn't think through what would the meal be. We didn't work all day slaving over it. We didn't think, oh, just cook it just right. Can I make it just right? What's the pudding going to be? What's the first course? What's the main? What is, we didn't do any of that. We're kids at Christmas dinner. We just show up at, at, at supper time and we just get to eat and we get to enjoy the meal. We get to take part in this meal that we didn't prepare and that we don't deserve. But Christ is saying, I want you to be a part of this. Christ is saying, I want you to take part. This is um, the best meal I've ever eaten. Well, that's weird, Caleb. It's bread and it's, it's wine or grape juice, depending on your preference. How can that be the best meal? It's the best meal because it has so much more meaning than what I eat. These are just the elements, but it's about remembering what Christ has done. The thing about really good meals, the thing about really good meals, 
Have you ever tasted something so good? What's your first thing when you taste something so good? Me personally, I just want to eat all of it. But some people, like my wife, she's really kind. She eats something amazing and she goes, Caleb, you have to try this. You have to try this. We went out last May. We had a friend in town. He just came and absolutely spoiled us. He took us to Fazenda on George Street. And if you've never been, it's this Brazilian steakhouse. It's uber expensive. We didn't pay, praise the Lord. And so we go, but we go. And this is what it is. If you've never been to a Brazilian steakhouse, this is what it's like. You go in, you sit down at a table and you flip a little card from red to green. And it says, I'm ready to eat. And people come up to you with the, like every cut of the cow. It's, you know, you got your prime rib, your filet mignon, your ribeye, you got everything. And they come up and they cut it at your table and you say, how would you like it cooked? You say, I like it medium. And they say, oh, well, let's take this slice right here. And they throw it right on your table and they just keep coming. And you eat and you eat and you eat until you're like, I'm going to explode, but I'm going to eat some more. Because this is amazing. It never ends. You want to stay there for hours. It's this moment. You want to hunker down. You want to enjoy it. But it's just me, my wife, and our friend. I would love to take all of you to Fazenda, to sit and enjoy this meal together. This is the best, one of the best meals I've ever had, but this meal is better. This meal, this meal is better than that. If I want you to go to Fazenda, imagine how badly I want you to have this meal. I want to eat this one with you. I want everyone here to experience this meal. And the only thing you have to do to eat this meal is you just have to believe that it's Jesus who saved you. The only thing you have to do to eat this meal is believe that Jesus has saved you. And I want you to really understand exactly what Christ has done for you. I want you to know that God loved you so much, he died for you. And that all that needs to be done to take part in the meal is to believe in the truth of that. That Christ has freed you from your sin. And that can be done right now. You don't have to wait, but you can believe in Jesus right now. And then you can come and you can take part in the remembering of Christ's sacrifice with all of us. It's nothing more Nothing more than that. I really want you to hear that. It's nothing more than that. It's nothing. We didn't bring anything to the table. We didn't bring anything. Because I was speaking with a friend on the phone a few weeks ago. He's a really close friend of mine. We grew up together. And he's, <clears throat> he's never really, really gotten the whole God thing. You know, he went to church and he's a part of it, but he never really quite believed. And I was talking to him. I said, how's your relationship with God, man? said, oh, and you know, I just got to fix a few things. You know, I got to, you know, I know I think he's there. I, you know, I pray occasionally, but you know, like I, I just, I need to fix a few things before I really come to the table, before I really come and believe in Jesus. I got to get myself right. And I said, man, that is, you've misunderstood fundamentally what this is about. It is not about, I'm going to fix myself and then I'm going to come eat this meal. No, you come to this meal broken. You come to this meal needy. You come to this meal hurting. And you come to this meal as a slave. And you eat it and you get to be free. You can't free yourself. But you can just call on Jesus 
and he's there. <clears throat> he's already done it. <clears throat> As Christians, we remember this dinner. This final meal as something more than just the Last Supper, but we call it communion now. It's this weird term we call it, but we just call it communion. And we remember, we're called to remember. What do we do? We remember that Jesus died for us, and we remember that he didn't have to, but that he chose to. Remember that we bring nothing to the table. We got to remember that we bring nothing. We remember that it is Christ that has freed us, but most of all, we remember that Christ, when he died for us, did not stay dead in the grave, but that three days later, Christ rose again. And that he is alive. And that he is reigning on the throne. That he is the king of the whole world. And it's because Jesus is alive. It's because he rose again that we come to this meal, not with somber hearts and sadness, but we can come to this meal rejoicing. We can come to this meal rejoicing in the work our Savior did because when you are a slave and you're freed, what is your first reaction? When you are a freed slave, what do you do? You rejoice. There's celebration, there's happiness, there's freedom, and then there's this whole step of figuring out what is life now? What is this life about? But you get to rejoice and be freed in the liberation of the great work of our Savior. We are to rejoice in our freedom. I'm going to close down with this, and I know I'm running over, but Thousands of years later, we read this passage and we get it. We get to see the significance of it. But as you read in the passage, I'm sure you saw something, was that the disciples, the 12, his 12 followers, his 12 friends who he wanted to eat this meal with, what did they do? They didn't get it. They didn't understand. No. When Jesus said, this is my body given for you, this is my blood poured out for you, but I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be murdered. The disciples wanted to play Cluedo. Who done it? Who would do that? They wanted to play an ancient game of Cluedo. And they would go around the table. Would it be you, Peter? You're kind of arrogant. You say a lot of things, but your foot in your mouth. Would it be you, John? I know your nickname is the disciple whom Jesus loved, Probably not you. Would it be your brother? It's probably not in your wheelhouse. Judas, the guy currently being possessed by Satan. I'm going to say Judas. They missed it. That is not the point. They've missed it. Don't be the disciples this morning. Don't be like them. Don't say, well, why the bread and wine? Why would Jesus do it? Don't ask the question, why? Don't say, how can it be? You can ask those questions. I'm happy to talk to more about it, but Don't miss the significance that Jesus loves you, willingly died for you, to free you from sin. We get to see the significance of this meal and its significance for us. We don't have to sacrifice lamb anymore. We don't have to meet the standard because Christ has met it. 
and we can rejoice in our freedom. So come and taste. So come, taste and see that the Lord is good. And come take part in the rejoicing. I'm going to take just a few minutes for us to sit in reflection. And then Ian is going to come back up and lead us through the celebration of communion. It's just quiet reflection. Father God, uh, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son, that you came to die and to free us from our sin and that you rose again on the third day, Lord. We thank you that we can rejoice in the work that you've done. I pray, Lord, that we would never forget it. I pray, Lord, that we would reach out to you, that we would claim you, and that you would free us from our sin, and that we would follow you in, with that freedom, Lord. And that we, you would teach us how to follow well, how to rejoice with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We... If you've been to church here before, you'll know that we normally do some kind of discussion and then a live Q&A uh, so you can tackle some of the issues that have been raised in the talk. We're not going to do that today because we think it's right to um, do the thing that Jesus commands us to do that we've been looking at today, to remember uh, and to, to share that.